Welcome to Answers That Count. If you own a business, you can count on us to give you the answers you need to succeed in all aspects of your business. And now, here's your host, Charles Musgrove. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another great show of Answers That Count. I'm your host, Charles Musgrove, and thank you so much for joining us. This is going to be another great show. Today is, we're recording this on October the 2nd, and it's about one o'clock in the afternoon eastern time so somewhere around that so i'm actually over in the destin area destin florida area on 30a i'm at the 98 distillery and we have a famous a very good friend of mine attorney dean labeouf is on he is our special guest for today thank you for joining us dean hello charles Dean is coming to us from Tallahassee, Florida. And before we get started with the show, you know where to find all of our our podcasts. We're on your favorite podcast channel. I don't know where you where you pick them up at. Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio. We we're on all those channels. We're also on Roku TV and Fire TV. You'll see that at the bottom of our of our screen. So uh, make sure that you whether you go to YouTube or whether you go to one of those channels, make sure that you subscribe to the show and that you hit the the notification button and you can see there's a cat crawling around in the background so we have all kind of critters here so uh, i think that's the only one that we have john is a is a crazy cat so uh you know where to find all of the all of our shows we've got some great shows out there on business how to run your business we got shows about legal and compliance and maybe even some about accounting so uh just make sure to to check out the show and uh look in the right channels so uh, we're gonna we're gonna let the cat go, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep the show rolling. So, Dean, thank you for joining us. Uh, you know, this is we're we're living in some crazy times. I've I've said this before that 2020 is the longest decade in one year that I've lived through. So uh, it's been long. It's been uh, it's been an adventure with this COVID, and and we've got the election season. We've had civil unrest we've had now we've got our president and the first lady with covid we we hope they have a a speedy and full recovery uh we wish the best for them and we pray that they'll have a a great recovery but you know it's uh every every day every week there's a there's another twist and turn and like i've like um like i've always believed that we're not promised tomorrow we're not promised another breath so we need to take full advantage of of what we have and live it the correct way. So uh, this is uh, one more example of that. So uh, I'm going to turn around and move this cat. You're letting the cat out of the bag, are you? I'm getting the cat. The cat is out of the bag now. So uh, that'll add some some uh, interesting uh, show there, interesting little picture to the show. So, um, Dean, I know with all this COVID stuff that, man, the the, the legal aspects of that have got to be just – still developing. I mean, I, who knows how that's going to turn out with people going into restaurants, into bars, into businesses. Do they contract COVID while they're in there? Is it the fault of the the business owner? You know, what, what's the fallout of this? What do you, How do you see this turning out? You know, I think the legal situation is analogous to the medical situation. It's evolving. You know, when COVID first started here, there were certain positions, certain ideas, Uh, You know, we were all wiping down our counters and wiping down our food, thinking that that would be a primary source of transmission. And over time, we found out that wasn't true. Uh, The same is somewhat similar 
in the legal field, it's still developing. We're still learning things uh, about different aspects of this. And, you know, we'll be able to talk about that today. But I think the primary thing is there are some fundamentals, just like in medicine, there are some fundamentals. We know this is an airborne disease. Well, in the law, there are some fundamentals that apply that I think will help your business listeners in understanding what their liability is, what their risks are, and the best way to exercise best practices to protect themselves. So if there's not a just a, an insurance policy to say, or some kind of legal protection that the business owner knows that they have, what are, what should they, how should they know that they are at risk and what should they do to, to mitigate that risk to their, to their customers and to their employees? Well, I think the best place to start is with the fundamentals. You know, there's a lot of people who talk about lawsuits without even really understanding what's required. And lawsuits have basically four elements. The first element is there has to be a duty between two parties. So if we're talking about a business, you have to have a relationship between the business and the claimant or customer uh, that creates a duty. So if we're talking about a bar, for example, a bar would have a duty to exercise reasonable care in their relationship with the customer. Reasonable care is going to depend on the circumstances. You know, in 2019, reasonable care was we're all together in the bar, drinking at the bar, eating at the bar in close proximity to each other, and that's fine. Now that we have COVID, there are different rules, and those rules continue to evolve. Yeah, they do. Uh, You know, whether we have social distancing or masks or whatever the situation is. So you have to, first of all, establish that duty and determine what that duty is and what the reasonable standard is. The next thing is if you've got a breach of that duty. So if there are clear standards, you know, we've got in Leon County, there's a mask ordinance. If you're not incorporating the mask ordinance into your business, then, you know, you may have a breach of that duty. You may not be exercising reasonable care. But then you've got the problem of if you get a customer who gets sick, causation is a huge issue. Because yeah, how can you how can you track that back to that business? And remember, it's always the claimant's responsibility. Right. The claimant has to prove that they got COVID from that business. Now we have some COVID claims, but the COVID claims we have are in locked facilities. So we represent some people in a group home where they can't leave the group home. They're a resident of the group home, and the group home in this situation told all of their staff not to use any PPE, that it would scare the residents. Wow. There are more deaths and more infections at this group home than any others in the state. And so they did not exercise reasonable infectious disease standards. And it's easy in that case to prove where the residents got the disease because they're not going anywhere else. Right. So short of somebody being in a lockdown like that, it's going to be difficult to, to prove that causation, I would think. Yeah, you know, so you're exactly right. And in, in a business environment, you know, they're having a discussion with the president and the first lady right now. And, you know, they aren't able really to guarantee or, or establish more likely than not how they contracted it. Right. And then, you know, you know, tracking it back is not easy. No, the tracing is, is going to be a challenge, to say the least. So, you know, in terms of general liability, 
in a customer relation situation for lawsuits, I just don't think there's a huge amount of risk uh, as long as the business is employing reasonable business practices. And that would extend to not just that would extend not just to the customers, but also to the business's employees. Well, that's a different standard. And in that, we've got something called workers' compensation. Okay, so workers' comp applies in that situation if an employee catches COVID. Yes, and the different states generally regulate workers' compensation, and many states like Florida have extended workers' compensation protection to COVID. Oh, that's good. Let me explain what I mean. Normally, let's say it's the flu. If you get the flu at from work, so your boss has got the flu, right? He's in all over you, and you get the flu from your boss. It's that's, not a workers' compensation. Yeah, that's not workers' comp. Go see your medical doctor for that. But COVID is. They're saying that although normally it wouldn't apply to viruses in Florida and many other states, they're extending workers' compensation protection to people who get COVID as long as they have a reasonable basis to be able to say, more likely than not, I got it from work. So what, are you are, are you seeing anything yet? I know it's still early, but what are the claims on that? Are you seeing are claims numbers? Well, you know, with workers' compensation, the benefits on that are very, very, very limited. You know, there's no pain and suffering claims or anything else like that. It's basically to cover your medical bills. Medical and, and lost wages. Lost wages. Right. So, um, you know, there has been an uptick in those claims, but they're, they're, they don't have the potential liability that you have in a normal tort claim because the damages are very capped. There are discussions about bringing claims outside of workers' comp, but the standard to do that is extraordinarily high. It basically requires an intentional act. So if you have an employer who is deliberately saying, look, I don't care about a mask ordinance. I don't care about that. You have to do this. You have to do this, even if you're high risk. I mean, even that may not be enough to get outside of the limitations of workers' compensation. Interesting. So what the, the picture that you're painting for the, for the business owner is go exercise due care, follow the guidelines that are in place, but don't, don't worry excessively about somebody bringing a suit against you for transmission of COVID in, inside your workplace. I think that's exactly right. I mean, the standard is, and you know, you're not doing it just to limit liability. Most employers really care about their customers and really care about their employees. Absolutely. So, you know, for those businesses that engage and operate their business on that philosophy, uh, you're really going to be all right. Yeah, they'll be okay. So, you know, it's interesting. I have uh, one of my clients had a had a bar and lounge, and like all the others in the state of Florida and probably across the United States, they were closed for probably the longest period of time of, of any business. And before the governor allowed those to open back up, they had made the decision that they're going to go ahead and close for good. They're not going to reopen because they didn't want to live through the the what ifs, the 50% or the 25 or anything less than 100% capacity. They just didn't want to have that that difficulty from a business standpoint, but they also didn't want to have that risk from uh, a spreading of the disease also. And it was not just a, a liability issue. It was, uh, it was, I don't want to have that on my conscience that I have been 
uh, a conduit to spreading that disease because he had it, both his mother and father transmitted the disease and they were older and not in great health and his mother almost died from the disease. So that was very personal to him and he made the decision not to reopen his business and ended up selling the business. So, you know, there's a lot of, I think that's probably, that's people, you see that across the United States that, that especially in that industry, the bar and lounge, that's a, that industry has been very hard hit over the, over this COVID. Without question. And, and, you know, restaurants are in a similar situation and, you know, most of them operate on a very small margin. They do. So I, I had the same situation where I had friends and clients who had those kind of businesses and made the same decision. Yeah. And, you know, on the one hand, we've got the serious health implications associated with this. But on the other hand, we've got other damages that we have to pay attention to. The economic damages and the unemployment statistics. I have to tell you, I'm terrified about what effect this is going to have on the economy once it all gets sorted out. Uh, The national debt, the number of small businesses that are having to close down, the mental health effects, the alcoholic effects in terms of, you know, people looking for escapes. Uh, It's very worrisome. Yeah, there's no easy or absolute answer. You can't say that the right answer is to keep everybody in house to so that you eliminate or or at least reduce to the lowest possible extent the transmission of the disease. You can't do that because there, the economic effects and the other um, unintended consequences, that cost is most likely higher than, than what you deal with on on the COVID side. I mean, the the loss of jobs, the depression, the the unemployment, the alcoholism, the, the child abuse. I mean, the, the, the list goes on and on to the, the potential cost of a lockdown. I mean, thank yeah, goodness, really thank goodness we only had the lockdown for, for uh, two to three months. And in some States they're still living with the lockdown in different industries. So it's, uh, it's tough. And we see some of the States are, they've, they've changed what the, the objectives of the lockdown are. So they're look are, are the, the COVID relief and they're looking to go back into more lockdown. So it's, it's tough to see that because it's, it's, there is no easy answer and let's eliminate COVID spread because there's consequences on the other side of that. No, you're right. I do a lot of medical work and I was talking to an epidemiologist and uh, I think he gave me the best understanding of this. He said, he calls it his two guardrail system. And on one extreme, it's, a permanent shutdown. No businesses are open. Everybody stays home and only essential businesses continue to operate like grocery stores and hospitals so that we can't pass the spread. We minimize it. Well, we can't do that. Right. Um, it's just not reasonable. The other side of the guardrail, the other guardrail is everybody's going to get it. So just go back to life like it was in 2019. And we can't do that either. We saw in New York the effects of when the infection spreads too quickly, the healthcare system gets overwhelmed, healthcare workers are getting sick and dying and we don't have enough of them. We can't deal with normal or regular routine health issues like heart attacks or other issues. We can't do that either. So he says, we need to keep it between the guardrails. And then in between the guardrails, every individual is responsible to assess their own risk. So if you've got significant comorbidities, if you're obese, if you're over 65, if you have diabetes, you need to stay a whole lot closer to the center line and be protective. Right. And we're, you know, closer to the guardrail of shutting down 
than, you know, people who don't have those same risks. And then people who are engaging in more dangerous behavior have to be very cognizant of who they may be spreading the disease to. Absolutely. But it's, it's a step-by-step individual intelligent uh, analysis where we all need to look out for each other. Yep, absolutely. And we hope that as, as we stretch this time out, that the medical professions professionals become more intelligent, they have better therapeutics, and we get closer to a vaccine that that can be vac- that we can vaccinate the, the the general population. So that's what we're trying to do, and that was the the goalpost at the beginning of this was to flatten the curve. If you can remember that, that seems like a a long time ago that we had that discussion. No, you're absolutely right, but you know we're still uh, baffled by some things. I know someone who was positively diagnosed with COVID had symptoms. And in the most recent test, she had no antibodies. Wow. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, So was it a false negative? We don't know. I mean, this has confounded a lot of really, really smart people. It really has. So we talked about, from from the business perspective, we talked about workers' comp and we talked about do the, the reasonable man approach to protect the customers and to protect your employees as well. And really, the business owner should not be overly worried about uh, someone bringing a lawsuit against them. If they do, it's, it's going to be unfounded, and they should be able to defend that pretty easily. And that's always another another question is, on the defense side, it, it's usually fairly easy for someone to bring uh, litigation against somebody else. So what you want to – the cost of defense can be overwhelming to people as well. So – how, how can how can that business owner mitigate that risk? Well, that's a really good question. And um, something that has been referenced a lot of times is what we call the English rule. And in the English rule, basically what that means is that the loser pays the winner's attorney's fees. That's not the standard in America. In America, normally... Each side pays their own attorney's fees. So if you're sued and it is a lawsuit that doesn't have any merit, generally businesses in the American system still have to pay their own attorney's fees, which can be significant in getting the lawsuit dismissed or resolved, even though they have no liability or responsibility, even though if they did nothing wrong, they may have significant exposure in their attorney's fee expense. So under the English rule, Each side starts out paying their own attorney's fees, but then if you win, if you prevail on the claim, you get your attorney's fees on top of your award, or if you're a defendant, the plaintiff has to pay your attorney's fees. So how do you get that? Is there a ruling or a filing that has to be? What we have is several states have statutes. Florida has a very, very liberal statute that provides an opportunity for a defendant to assess their risk and say, I'll tell you what, I don't think I did anything wrong. And so I'll give you $100 to make you go away. Uh, But I don't think I did anything wrong. And if I win this lawsuit and I owe you nothing, then you're going to have to pay my attorney's fees in fighting this claim. And if they've got some liability, they can propose a reasonable number to resolve the claim. And if the claimant doesn't prevail, it's, it's more complicated. There's some percentages and things like that. But the general concept is 
And in what I tell people, because mostly what I do is plaintiff's work. Mostly I represent claimants, but I represent a lot of doctors. I've represented other health professionals and businesses. And I don't ever like to get into a fight where I just play rope-a-dope and I can't swing back. Right. And what these statutes, in Florida it's called a proposal for settlement, it gives a defendant the ability to fight back. And I think everybody should have that right. And if it's a meritless claim, um, they have the ability to say, look, I don't owe you any money. I didn't do anything wrong. And if you continue to pursue this, you're not only going to lose, but you're going to have to pay my damages on top of that. And in fact, there are some statutes that can even hold the plaintiff's lawyer accountable if it's really clearly a totally meritless claim. Wow. That's good. It is good. It's fair. Yeah, because otherwise you just have to defend that uh, whether you have any liability or not. And the defense costs can be just exorbitant. They can. Yeah. They can. So I think it's a very, very good provision. Unfortunately, it's not used as frequently as it should be. What are the, uh, you know, we talked about workers' comp being being really an important uh, insurance coverage in this in this pandemic that we're dealing with on COVID, and that I'm glad to see, at least in the state of Florida, that the that the workers' comp provisions have expanded to include that because that you know without that the uh, the employee could be could be left with nothing really other than their health right. insurance. Right. So that's good, and the health insurance is not going to cover lost wages. So then you're then you fall back to the mercy of the employer and most of these employers right now they're they're stretched pretty thin as it is so you can't it's hard to imagine them uh unless it's the big companies just writing a check out for people that are that are at home and able to work because of covid right now it's a good thing to do and it, and Florida and several states have extended that and and I think that was a smart thing to do it's a fair thing to do what do you see about uh, I've seen this in the news recently on business interruption and that was you heard the clamor of that early on in this covid crisis when when the government and a lot of the municipalities were were closing or restricting business that business interruption insurance would come into play what are you seeing in on that front you know I think that's going to be the biggest legal topic associated with this because let's be honest a lot of businesses have been hurt very, very, very badly. And, you know, PPP, uh, for those companies that qualified and applied, uh, only covers a percentage of their damages. There are a lot of policies that don't even have any business interruption language, but, you know, then you get into issues about whether they should have. So there are several class actions that are developing in this area. I think it's going to be very, very um, significantly litigated. I do not have a crystal ball to tell you how it's going to come out. Um, But I think for any businesses that think that they have a potential claim and have an issue on it, they really should explore the issue. And because of the potential class action nature of this, they should be able to do it without having to pay any money for a lawyer. And I'm not soliciting, uh, we're not doing business interruption claims. But there are plenty of firms that are uh, very, very good firms that uh, are addressing this on a very major scale. And I think it will provide uh, a great opportunity for businesses to recoup some of their losses if they're successful. Yeah. If they're not successful, uh, the law firms will be taking the risks, not them. Right. I think that that is good. The um, Are they, on those situations that you're aware of, 
is it the is it the insured? Are they going after an insurance company if they had business interruption? Or are they going after a municipality for you've unduly restricted my business? You know, I haven't seen any of it against businesses uh, at this point. I think most of those cases are are focused on insurance policies. So they're going on insurance policies. So it would seem though that. Uh, and this is just me not being an insurance person or, or an attorney, but it would seem that if if you were not paying for that coverage in your policy, and you would know if you were paying it because it would be probably pretty expensive to pay for that, or it would be definitely outlined that you were that that coverage was included in your premiums that you were paying. That is that's going to be a tough road to get to to get some kind of coverage on that. However, it would seem if you if you if you're if a business has a beef with a, gov- a a municipality for closing their business or restricting it, that seems to be more of that you have more of a leg to stand on. I don't know. What do you What do you think yeah. from the legal side? So a couple things with regard to insurance policies. I understand there's a lot of policies that have business interruption, and the insurance companies are saying we're not covering this. Mm. Okay, so that would probably be the clearest. Okay, why not? And and is that clearly defined in the policy? One of the other issues with insurance policies might be whether or not the agent failed to discuss that as a potential policy inclusion or exclusion from your policy where they should have covered it and they they didn't. So there may be a breach of their duty with the insured in selling the policy. Uh, those are the things that I'm seeing and anticipating will be the most heavily litigated issues. Dealing with the government, going back to the English rule, when America was formed, our common law coming from England had a provision called sovereign immunity, which basically means the government can do no wrong. So they can do anything. Right. They can do anything. (laughs) So, um, you know, up until the 70s in Florida, that was the situation. And then the legislature passed what's called a limited waiver of sovereign immunity. It's chapter 768.28 of Florida statutes. And what it says is, is that under certain circumstances, there will be a limited waiver of sovereign immunity. So the example would be if the government is engaged in a discretionary level function, such as we're going to close down businesses. There's no liability. Uh, If they decide to design a highway a certain way, there's no liability. But if they fail to maintain the highway, that's called an operational level function. Um, If they, for example, if they fail to maintain your medians on a highway or the right of way on the side of the street and you have car trouble, and you pull off the side of the street and there's this huge hole that you can't see because they're not cutting grass and maintaining the right of way and you break your neck. Well, you would have a claim against the government for failure to perform their operational level function and maintaining that right of way. But you'd have a limited claim. There's caps on those damages. So it was the first example that was eminent domain. So eminent domain is where they can Take your business or close it. Take your property. Yeah, this is different than that. These are actually tort lawsuits. Okay. I mean, it was a case where there was a state employee who negligently was driving down the beach over by Daytona, and there were some sunbathers out there, and they ran them over. Mm. Actually ran them over. 
because they weren't paying attention. Wow. And the people who they ran over were very, very badly hurt. But there are caps on damages that have changed. It originally was $50,000 and went to $100,000 and $200,000. And then they filed what's called a claims bill to get their damages over and above that. It's a long, complicated process. But the point I'm trying to make is suing the government for any claims associated with COVID, I think is going to be virtually impossible. Yeah. The reason I ask that is this was more up in New York and New Jersey, but you know, they were. They've been some of the they've been closed more than other states. And there were um, some of the businesses like the hair salons or the gyms. They had they were in the process of taking action against the government and making inquiries of them. And lo and behold, when they when they put it to that point and when they had legal action in place, they opened up. So they allowed those businesses to open. So whether there was any liability or not. I don't know, but it just seemed kind of interesting that they opened up at that point. Let me check the time. So, uh, Dean, we've kind of come to the end of the show. I know that's an abrupt ending, but we have a, a lot of stuff there. I want to ask that you stay on and let us uh, continue this on the podcast and on YouTube. So just hold on as I as I put a button on this for the radio show. So you've been listening to Answers Account. I'm your host, Charles Musgrove. Thank you for joining us for another show. So all of you that are watching on YouTube or any of the other channels listening on podcasts, hang on, we'll be right back. Answers That Count is brought to you by The Bean Team. For all your business accounting needs, visit beanteam.com for more info. You can listen to more episodes of Answers That Count on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Or visit answersthatcount.com. 